Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. This is episode number 291, and we are powered by Venison and DeerCast. And uh, specifically, DeerCast Maps. Oh, yeah. New for this year. Man, I've been using WindCheck an awful lot, trying to figure out access and which stands. Yeah. And yesterday, <clears throat> you hunted yesterday, right? I did. I shouldn't have. It was a waste of time. <laughs> I was in a tree stand, and I literally had to hold on to the tree trunk a couple times because it was the wind windy. was gusting. Yeah. So, and, and we we choose we have custom animations for different wind categories in there, and it looked like a, like you know like a fire extinguisher on the map, <laughs> and it felt like one too. Like like when the kid in UHF gets a drink from the fire hose, yeah. It just shoots them across the studio. Yeah. That's what I felt like. Yeah, it was neat because yesterday the animation changes. It changed like three or four times because by the end of the night, it, it had gone down to next to nothing. So, like, we're basically down to calm, which is mm-hmm. the part that sucked. Yeah, so. it gets quiet. Did you see anything? Uh, yeah, we saw plenty of deer. I mean, that, it's interesting because out there, you know, we, we last year we were lucky to see a deer. I mean, mm-hmm. before dark. It was just really tough. But we didn't have... Food didn't grow out there. We, you know, didn't get the rain this year. Although we struggle with rain, we have enough food that that grew for us enough biologic that it actually is is working. And you know, we saw eight, ten deer before dark, well within you know bow range, all filtered right past cool. us. And then right at dark, you know, bucks started popping out of the timber left okay. and right, and we got pinned in. I mean, we had. I'd say there was two or three mature bucks on that we knew of mm-hmm. on the field, you know, right in front of us. And I mean, so it was good. It just, you know, they're still, you know, just still right there at dark or after dark. Now yeah. that could have been partly moon phase driven. The pressure kind of sucked yesterday too. I mean, it was low, lower than it had been like all early season. It was like 30.1, 30.2, 30.3. Mm-hmm. And it was like 29.2 you know, eight or 29.76 or so you didn't see your, the big deer that went to bed though. No, no. I saw a, a, an immature buck that I'd never seen before. So I I saw a deer, saw a gobbler, (laughs) saw a bunch of coyotes, long way to to drive. It was and a lot of cattle. Yeah. The cattle thankfully moved out as the evening kind of wore on. So I thought, Oh, maybe something will happen here, but it was just so darn windy. And I, and I I just, I, I don't know. I think, I think a wind at that level doesn't do a whole lot for deer movement. Well, you know, we have somebody that's on the line that probably can help both of us with all of our problems. Do tell. <laughs> Today we have Mark Drury, special guest. What's up, Mark? Hey, guys. How's it going? We are doing good. <clears throat> we wanted to have you on to tell us what we're doing wrong. <laughs> oh, and talk about your 180, what was it, 183 and 5 ace? Or? I think 1 eight, but I don't yeah, know, something eighth. like that. I, my, my curiosity has peaked based on what elevation were you at last night? Like we, we intentionally tried to go low and uh, it really paid off, man. With those high winds, you cannot beat uh, deep bottoms on those high winds. Cause I think it, ultimately the winds throughout the day drive them lower in topography. And that's where all of our deer daylighted were down in bottom mm. field. Yeah. I, I was in bourbon, Missouri and it just, it's rolling kind of, it's rolling f- kind of flat country out there. So I was in a little Creek depression, but it still wasn't enough. I mean, there's really, there aren't very many places to hide from a wind like that out there. So yeah, I think, I think yeah. they just stayed hunkered down in the timber until things calmed down after dark. I think when they, when they can't get out of it, you know, like if they're in that type of country or, or up on a ridge, you know, it often subdues the movement much later uh, than say down in the bottom where they've been sheltered from it all day. So <laughs> a great example, Perry and Tim last night, Tim, Tim Malou, who's a, a guest that's in right now hunting with us. They saw 30 deer, their deer, their deer movement started at 4 PM. Hours started two hours later, a little after six. And we saw, you know, like 10 or 12 deer they, and they looked scared to death when they came out because they'd been beat up all day. We were up on a ridge and they were on a bottom, but I was after one specific mm-hmm. buck and that's yeah. where I needed to be. That's so. how ours were as far as that, the look they kind of gave it. I mean, the first few that came out, they came out at 630 and the first few that came out <clears throat> were just 
goosey as all get out and looking, I mean, looking in the timber, looking, you know, over to the pond where there's cattails, like everything moving just had them goosey. Plus we have a lot of coyotes out there. So I, I told mm-hmm. Scott, I go, you know, that doesn't really help us either. When you have this kind of wind and that kind of movement all around them and they're already scared to death of <laughs> the huge predator population we have, I'm sure that plays a part. No doubt, and I'm sure they have a, a deep sense of recognition of when they're vulnerable. In other words, you're taking something away from them. A couple things, they don't see as well, they don't hear as well because of the high wind speed. So therefore, that vulnerability probably creates that high, higher sense of, of uh, you know, being a little bit more on edge, certainly. And yeah. you know, the other time I see that is when there is no wind. And then it's because they hear everything. So there's literally... <laughs> There's no wind whatsoever. It's dead calm out there, and they can hear every little thing, and they key in on it. You know, you have a, a tree stand squeak or a blind pop or whatever it is, man. They get you so quickly. It's funny, you know, because that's how it, it, it the night ended up, where it was, you know, it said Deercast was saying six, I think six mile an hour, but it, it had gone down to pretty much calm, and as it as it often does there at the end of the evening, and we got stuck in the blind. We couldn't get out, and so we were, you know you know, kind of packing up slowly. But at this point, the bucks had basically fed to within 20, 30 yards of us. And, you know, you don't want to spook them, even though they're not your target, you still don't want to like mess it up. And so they're looking at the blind every time they come out. And finally, we pulled out Scott's uh, light, the big camera light, the one that, you know, you guys have as well, I think. And, you know, we tried that and it looks like you're spotlighting them, but we're just trying to scare them, you know, to get out of there. And they're just staring at you. And then we We've tried covered this. We the, know how to clear a field. Yeah. Shout. Believe it came into my mind. <laughs> all right. We, all done. <laughs> so then we tried that like flashing light that didn't scare them. And finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to start like kind of making some like jumping sounds in the blind, Dancing. like just movements that freak them out because it was calm. I thought that would scare them. And that didn't really scare them. Like it. it it was impossible. I don't, I don't know. It amazes me because the deer were so spooky all night. And then you're intentionally <laughs> yeah, you trying to it. spook them and you can't do it. Try flossing. <laughs> you know, that, that blanket of darkness, they feel very comfortable anytime it's nightfall. So we'll oftentimes just climb down in the dark and walk out very slowly. And they generally don't, don't clear. It depends if you have wind speed or not. If you have a little wind left, a lot of times you can climb down and get out pretty cleanly as long as it's dark. Well, we basically did do that. <laughs> Mark, do, do you think that the deer are <clears throat> intelligent and cognizant enough to connect that humans came out of that box and left and maybe they'll be back in there and therefore we should be afraid or is that too complex? Um, no, it's not too complex. I mean, you know, I, I try to never let them know that we're around, you know, so um that's why we owl hoot a lot you know we'll give them a noise perry does a really good screech we've taken coyote howlers with us we owl hoot a lot and a lot of times that vocal is enough to get them to walk off the field or clear the field but um yeah i try not to key them into the blind too much me personally because whether they connect it to a human being in there in the future i don't know that that's occurring but just fearing being around the box blind or fearing or being around your tree set or whatever i think is something that you want to avoid, certainly. Mm. We've had some Rack Pack members request that Perry hop on the episode, uh, on an episode, so we can talk about his nickname. Uh, maybe he can do a screen. Wade outed him on the last podcast or two podcasts ago, saying that his nickname was Perry Button. <laughs> I heard that last night. Um, <laughs> Perry's up the bat. We'll see what happens. Calm him down. Calm him down. Oh, he gets excited. He gets excited. And don't call him Perry Button. <laughs> so we do a lot of doe management both in Missouri and Iowa and you're gonna make a mistake once in a while last fall was Perry's first shooting does and uh, he mistakenly shot three button bucks but <laughs> and his new name is Perry Button <laughs> we were we were sitting here at the house having dinner Tracy had brought some barbecue down and all of a sudden it hit Perry he goes by the way, did you bring up my damn nickname? He says that to Wade, you know? And Wade was like, what? Yeah, what? You know? and, uh, did Wade remember he was on our show? Oh, yeah. Well, Wade was playing, you know, what are you talking about? Who knows? You know? And uh, so then it came out, and then I had to show. Marissa was here as well, and she had never seen my screensaver for him in, in oh. my phone. So I showed that to her, and she thought that was funny. So I have, I have him in here as Perry Button. 
<laughs> and uh, it's a little button buck when he calls me. It's a button buck that comes up on my phone. So That's it's pretty great. Funny. That's hilarious. Oh, yes. Sometimes it's weird how your your iPhone will pull in. I don't know in. if you can see that or not. Oh, wait a minute. Wrong. Hold on. You'll get a kick out of this. Not to give Perry so out. <laughs> Zoom in on that forehead. <laughs> That's awesome. So you got to really well, watch was, it. That was Perry's first fall with us, and we were into the dough management side of things, and he shot like, you know, we shoot a lot between Missouri and Iowa. And I, I think he was over 40, 40 antlerless deer, but three of them were buttons. So I, I ended up nicknamed, nicknaming Perry Button. <laughs> All out of love. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. It's a rough Everybody, crowd up there. <laughs> it's a tough crowd. It's a lot of dark humor, too. The season is long. I'd probably end up being like gut shot Tim or something. <laughs> well, that's not great. Let me tell you, you don't want to have a name <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> Wade nicknamed Matt, Matty Cakes, when he was in. So. E. <laughs> Matty Cakes. And then Mark <clears throat> made up a song about me after we finished tra tracking the deer we couldn't find you know and He's the it, weird owl of the deer mark, mark made up a, a matty cake matty cake baker man and then at the end of it, it says, he said something like and shoot him in the neck <laughs> I, I said roll him up roll him up shoot him in the neck so yeah you don't want to mess up up there that's for sure it will live in infamy they, they don't need reasons anyways to make fun of you you certainly don't want to mess give up. them one yeah, yeah. all I right i also well, have a good one for wade when Wade first started with, with me, he was 19, so he was fresh out of high school. And <laughs> on his Facebook page, he still had his um, senior pictures. pictures. Senior pictures. Uh -huh. Well, apparently the photographer thought Wade was a model, so they got his hair wet and had him, you know, do the old model type look. So it struck me as funny. So I've kept that as his contact ever since. <laughs> the fact that he had his hair wet and his hands up in his hair. And there's a Justin Bieber song out there. I used to I used to do memes with Wade and Justin and, and the same <laughs> But yes, we are a tough crowd up here. Well I always appreciate the saddle hunting memes I get from you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not directed at you just thinking of you <laughs> so much yeah. so that now our audience <laughs> sends yeah, the yeah, same now, things now, in the rack pack yeah now you get rack packers sending me memes too so i'm not short on saddle hunting memes <laughs> i don't have any, i don't have anything against saddle hunters i mean i just don't know any personally <laughs> other than tim <laughs> other than tim <laughs> yeah and, and even i'm a lightweight but it I, i'll admit it looks weird yeah, <laughs> it looks That's... really bizarre. Well, and I've never done it, so I shouldn't speak on it. But just me looking at it, it seems as if it would be restrictive in terms of you were talking. We opened this up about deer catching movement. Well, it seems restrictive in where you can shoot versus a tree stand. You can, you know, you can pretty much shoot, you know, probably 270 degrees. Well, that thing looks like you're limited to about 45 to 90 degrees unless you make a big move. So I, I never have figured out like. If he's not right here for your shot, how do you get to this, you know, without making a big mm -hmm. move? Like we, we get picked all the time in tree stands. I can't, I can't, I can't get my head around how you're not getting picked in those things. I lean That's hard the other direction and I'll say, wee, and I'll spin around the other way, swing yeah, over in yeah. one fell swoop and draw. <laughs> no, it, it's How's crazy. It out? Like some of the, <laughs> still zero for zero. Some of these guys will do things where they'll put the bridge like under their, sh under one shoulder and spin. Like if I have to shoot the other direction in a saddle, I know this is not a saddle show, but I'll stand up on the little platform and spin around and it's pretty much just like a small, Stand at that sixty percent of the time, it works every time. <laughs> but you still got to get up. And you got to get to that position. Like uh -huh. I don't know. Yep. It's just, it's just me. But yeah. you know, I, I I wouldn't knock anybody for trying any technique. Certainly, but it doesn't look like it would, it would I, fit way we had, especially on a calm evening when you know I'm like, I say it to I say it to Wade and Perry all the time when we're sitting out there. I'm like, I'd just like to be in a saddle right now trying to fool one. You know, and it's. it's it's so calm they catch everything i totally get the appeal of the flexibility of a run and gun style for guys public guys especially and public yeah i get i get it because it's it's a lot less of equipment you know and, and mm -hmm. it's packing it in so i understand yep, I get it that. yeah totally get that yeah yep. so well let's 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 transition from let's saddle up to successes huh. 
So let's talk about Mark's season. <laughs> right, let's transition over to what Mark has done. So, Mark, you just killed a really big deer. I didn't, I didn't catch the name. Did you? Had did you name that deer? No, not necessarily. No. The big one. <laughs> well, we just knew he was he was a deer down in uh, in a particular bottom. It's a farm I I call the Russell because I I bought it from a gentleman by the name of Russell, and it's an eighty acre farm, and that bottom's been good through the years. So we always, you know just talked about the Russell deer, you know? Uh, gotcha. I, I mentioned it on the podcast with Wade that you had told me when I was up there in Iowa that you guys kind of haven't really been naming them as much as you used to because, you know, it's just, there's a few, you got so many different little satellite farms, 80 acres here, 80 acres there. It's like, it's easier to kind of name it by the property or, you, you right. know what I mean? Yeah, we, we have changed that. And, um, yeah, I just haven't named, and I, I forget them. I mean, I, believe it or not, I forget, we'll name one. And then like, uh, you know, three or four weeks later, Wade or Perry will refer to the name that we gave him. And I can't remember which deer it was. Mm. So I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Heck yesterday I turned 56. So part of it's just my memory. I can't remember which deer's which, but I, I know, I know them, but you know, photogenically, mm -hmm. I see them in my head, but I, I forget what names we attach to them. So part of it's me. How would you like to be Terry? <laughs> <laughs> Can't remember. And I get it more and more every day. <laughs> I can't remember anything for a long time now. <laughs> we did a, uh, a a school of the wild earlier this morning, and all the we had about eighty kids from uh, Leon there doing a a week long natural resources course, and we came in uh, today as the final guest speaker. And they were asking me questions I couldn't hear them. I kept having to make them repeat. You know. <laughs> I couldn't understand what they were saying. I'd have to look at Wade and Perry for them to give me the, the question they were asking, you know, and too many shotgun blasts through the years, too many dead turkeys. Man, so. this old crotchety guy. Yeah. What's this guy's deal? I couldn't hear him, but boy, what a neat program. I, I wish they'd put that in every state. Just an unbelievable uh, day to talk about conservation and natural resources and soil health. And you should have heard the questions these little fifth, fifth and sixth graders were asking, 11, 12 years old. And they were so advanced over where mm. we were at that that age. I mean, what a tremendous program here in the state of Iowa. School of the wild. There are some states that have mandated outdoor education. Uh, and and yeah. I want to say Wisconsin, like Missouri, because that's, that's the previous world that I came from was outdoor education. And Missouri used to have a lot like we made our we made most of our school year money at the nonprofit that I worked at on school camps that would come in and you'd have to match up their educational, you know, their lesson plans and stuff with the outcomes. And it was super powerful and it was great, not only for the kids knowledge, but just the team and camaraderie aspect that they get from being outdoors and being in that environment. And you know what else there was a lot less of? jackassery because the kids are engaged like they're not bored they're actually they're thinking and they're, they're using their kinesthetics and it's just a to it's it's a very effective learning environment tim call it what it is it's your electric personality I like that. I yeah. hadn't thought all those years. <clears throat> That's what it was. It was me. <laughs> the wind beneath those kids' what, wings. I was so impressed with it this morning. Like uh, myself, Wade Perry, and Carson went. And Carson talked a little bit about outdoor videography. Perry did a, a great job on, on forestry. Wade did a super good job on soil health and food plotting. And, and of course, we covered a, a wide variety of subjects. I was able to give some hats away, some nose jammer, a couple tactic cams. Mm. I mean, we just had a big time uh, with all those kids. And it, it was amazing how many of them had great questions about big picture stuff, you know, photosynthesis and <laughs> you know, how soil is made. And uh, it, was is advanced. Just, it was beyond, beyond, it beat my expectations by a long shot. Like I went there thinking I was going to talk over their heads and I realized very quickly I was talking under their level uh. <laughs> of intelligence already they were very very sharp in most aspects of what we talked about did you find us any new podcast guests <laughs> <laughs> experts in their field i was i was looking more for farm permission to go turkey hunting if any of you guys have any problems all right raise your hand if you uh have a farm all right now raise your hand if you hunt okay okay i'll bet you i'll bet you there were 80 kids there and i'll bet you over half of them had hunted and probably 
many of those had already killed a deer or turkey. I mean, it was it's great. It was impressive. It was really, really impressive. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that, I think that's probably the, a little bit of the beauty of, you know, that's a rural town and, and school. Mm-hmm. And so they're very much um, indoctrinated into that lifestyle. It would be interesting to, you know, in Des Moines, does that program exist in Des Moines or one of the bigger cities there in it Iowa? Does. It does. It comes out of Iowa State, which is Iowa City. So they use it throughout the state. And, and I think a good many of them are in more, you know, suburban type areas as opposed to rural communities. So, and I'm sure for them, you know, if you get into a rural community, okay, the outdoors isn't so rare, but if you get into Des Moines or Iowa City or Cedar Rapids, I I bet those kids are fascinating to them Mm, learning about all this stuff, you know, oxygen and, you know, how plants grow and fertilizer and how soil's made and erosion of soil. Like we were talking some big picture stuff and different types of grasses and when to burn. And it, I was amazed at, at their questions. It was really cool. How magnets work. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain has a quote. He says something like, it's the job of every generation to worry about the next generation coming and complain about them. Alan's shaking his head. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, kids of the future, adults are now. <laughs> Let's focus on the adults. But you, you see, you see examples of like, Kids getting engaged, and we've got a story in DeerCast about Ian Meredith, a 14-year-old who killed a 238-inch Kentucky uh, buck. Mark, have you read that story, the DeerCast story? I have not as of yet, but I will. That's awesome. Please do. So I hadn't either, and Tim mentioned it, and so I went back and read it, and it was amazing. Like, it, it was absolutely Spot amazing. Stock and <clears throat> Whoa, come on. So the kid yeah. kid had some trials and tribulations in life. His, his uh, father had passed away. Um, his, his grandfather had passed away, and these are his mentors. So a school, you're talking about school programs. It kind of comes full circle here. It was a school. Um, his orchestra or, teacher. Orchestra teacher instructor. who was a hunter and um, kind of mentored him. And his brother, he and his brother were out hunting, and they both were asking off of school as they're hunting. It's mm-hmm. just, that's the way the articles made it sound like anyways. And he's like, yep, absolutely. You got to pass. Today's the day to be out he's daylighting. there. It was like a Friday, I think. And, uh, and he spot, he goes to check a camera. He spots the deer <laughs> and he asks the, the teacher what he should do. And the guy's like, yeah, take your shoes off and try to, you got the wind, try to put a, a stock on him. And he did. <laughs> and he killed the deer. <laughs> the deer fell over with his bow. He shoots him and the deer falls over within a couple steps. So the deer was bedded or up or that I, I couldn't I couldn't tell. Sound like he was up, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I think Paul Nier wrote the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul did a great job with the story. Very, very good. That is rare to impossible. I mean, based on what you're describing there, like that is next to impossible to be able to pull off. I think he has the top uh, youth, the top youth, you know, whitetail in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And he's like top five, maybe for non-typical. And, the, yeah. you know, they got to wait for the, the drying period and all that stuff. But it, it, it truly, it, it's worth, you know, if you're listening to this or viewing this episode, it's worth going over to DeerCast and scrolling down through the news feed till you find that, that giant tracker. It was well, awesome. Yeah, I'll link it up in the show notes so people can get to it quickly. That's cool. Awesome, man. Good for you. Congratulations. Mark, thanks for stopping by today. This has been great. Has been good. We'll see you guys soon. (laughs) Yeah. So so we did really get off track here, didn't we? (laughs) Mark also killed a really great deer. (laughs) We should talk a little more. I think Mark would be the first to say, though, that it's always great to listen, you know, to these stories, these crazy stories that we're seeing in the fan shares and deer cast. Like, it's it's really neat to kind of get a vibe for what everybody else is out there doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. is one of the coolest things of DeerCast. You know, we do the app and we work so hard to try and make sure it works. And then that's kind of the payback to see people out there telling their stories, whether they use DeerCast or not. But it's part of the payback. Just that hunting community and that sense of, of everybody being together and being on the same team has been pretty cool. A lot of positive vibes inside that app. If you're having a bad day, go read the comments of DeerCast. It is 98, 99 percent positive and everybody's everybody's rooting everybody else on, which is cool. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Tim. Some kid created a fake Mark Dury account in D U R Y. And they used like a really old picture of you, Mark. 
So that was the one percent. <laughs> they were saying like just some cra- like just some really crappy antagonistic stuff and way to promote it, Tim. <laughs> I deleted that that profile promptly. <laughs> Made me chuckle a little bit though. <clears throat> it's like one of those fake uh, ESPN accounts or something. <laughs> <laughs> ESPN. Yeah. All right. So take us through this quest for this deer. So I know when, when, um, Scott and I were up there, you had talked about the deer quite a bit and you and Scott went in for a scouting mission. I actually happened to see the deer, but obviously the story story starts way, you know, way past that or way previous to that. So kind of take us through the, the history of the deer and, and, you know, the hunt for this deer. Well, you know, the challenging part about this deer, when I got pictures of him, it was an 80 acre parcel. So it's a very small parcel. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you're dealing with, with small land areas, you have to take into mind or keep in mind that you're only seeing a small slice of what he does and who he is as a deer. You know, like if you have a thousand acres and you got cameras all over it, you might catch the same deer many, many different times. Whereas if you have an 80, you're only looking at, you know, whatever, 12% of, of a, a home range or maybe, maybe less than that. So when you catch them in there, then you, you got to hunt them. And this buck was one that we had several pictures of last season. And then this season he blew, you know, last season he, he was probably a high fifties type of deer last mm-hmm. year. And then when we got his pictures uh, in the summer, his frame had grown. He had a bunch of stickers and kickers and trash. I think all totally had 17 or 18 scoreable points. <sighs> And um, we knew right away he'd be one of the biggest deer. We felt like he could be one of the biggest deer we had pictures of. So we go through the velvet season and we had some analogic supplement gold out and got pictures of him during our summer uh, inventories. And then once we got into the season or close to the season, of course, he shed his his velvet. And um, I didn't see him again for a really long time, probably like a month. And um, in fact, that takes you into what Matt referred to he and scott were up and wade was sitting with matt that night and scott came with me and i said you know what we're going to go in but the wind's a little iffy i need to be down in the in this you know that corner and hunted on a, a strong south that's where they normally come out i said however we've got too much west in the wind it was a west southwest let's back off to what i call more of the gun position to where we can watch the whole field maybe we get a shot maybe we don't but let's watch and not not intrude too far so we did, and sure enough, who shows up but this this giant buck? And uh, it was cool that Scott got to see him. He laid down some great, great footage of him, and uh, he came out, and it and it's exactly why I pulled out and didn't go down in there. You know, it, that blind requires a straight south, a south southeast, or a south southwest. We had a west southwest wind, and where does the giant show up? But east northeast of the blind, we needed to be in to kill him. So he would have caught our wind. We never would have seen him. So. You know, just staying back and watching as opposed to trying to go in for the kill really helped us lead to a position to kill him the night we did. So a couple nights later, we had a straight south-southwest, and uh, it's right next to a giant bedroom. It's so thick where they come out of. It's one of those spots that even on a poor to uh, a bad or an okay, you still see decent, decent daylight activity because the food is parked next to the bed. And that's what really makes this spot uh, electric is it's got a great bedroom in it, a big bottom field with thickets and mm-hmm. briars and grass up to my head. And you should have seen what we tracked him through. It was just insane how thick and tall it was. And in fact, I bet I was from, I, I bet I was within two to three steps before anyone could see the deer as we were tracking. That's how thick it was in there. Like he was literally right in front of us. So it was, it was pretty awesome. And you know, I think the, the big key was sitting back that first night and then going for the kill on the exact right wind and speed. So the blood trail and, and a deal like this was, I mean, did you have good blood all the way up to the deer or were you guys, you know, okay. Yeah, Rage 2.3 that ended up striking his heart, both lungs, and uh, just did scratch the liver. Like literally it, it hit that spot down there on deer cast mm-hmm. um, track when you look, when you open up the the vitals and where everything comes together, just right by the heart there between the heart and liver, it went right through there. And he, uh, he bled pretty good for about 175 yards. We found him dead in his first bed. Mark, when you're dressing a, a deer, do you try to preserve the organs as they are, as you're pulling them out so that you can do kind of that post-mortem and yeah. see what you hit? Everyone's an autopsy, every single one, because 
you just learn that way based on the track job you just went through, plus all the processing you did to decide when to track and how to track, where the hit was, and what all was what all was struck. You know, a broadhead alignment. Mm-hmm. What did it do when it went through like this? What would it have done if it went like this or or you know vertically? So yeah, we do a pretty pretty thorough autopsy on on every deer. Have there been times where you've seen the orientation of the blade make a big difference in how far the deer went? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. You know, because you're going to cut a lot more arteries going through vertically through a deer than you are horizontally, you know, because all of those arteries that feed the deer, they're all on a horizontal plane. So if your blades orient vertically, you have a much better chance of, of cutting one of those. And unless you get up into the neck, then you would want to be more horizontal because mm-hmm. at that point they're they're running up, you know, at a vertical line. So sure. it absolutely makes a big difference. You know, sure. of course we shoot the two blade rages. Um, so people will go, well, why don't you shoot a, a broadhead that's three blades? But I firmly believe in penetration, which I love them for. And I believe in a big cut to increase your odds as well. So that's why you hear about, hear us talking about that 2.3 all the time. And the shot, if I remember right, it looked like you got look at least half the arrow penetrated, right? Uh, yeah, it stuck. My setup, you know, I'm shooting like 53 pounds, and it consistently will get through both rib cages and stick out just a little bit on both sides. Okay. I consistently have that same amount of penetration where it just pokes out the backside. Um, I don't shoot a lot of weight because I have a, a really bad left shoulder this year. My right shoulder's barking too, yeah. so I just don't shoot a lot of weight. Uh, but that Victor Arrow, that, that was a game changer for me back when Blake Shelby told me, he goes, you'll pick up 20% penetration by shooting a micro diameter uh, shaft. So I, I switched to that mm-hmm. uh, 400 shaft from um, Victory, and my penetration's real good with that 2.3 with not a lot of poundage, you know? And anything beyond poking out the backside of a deer is wasted energy any, anyway. So. I read a lot of social posts and I always hear people going, I want mine driven into the dirt. Well, why? I mean, <laughs> dirt's not going to lead you to the animal. I want a big cut and I want to just get through. And um, it, it works. It serves us well. And Terry's in the same range. And mm-hmm. We've both had pretty good luck with it. Is you know? the argument because if you have uh, an exit, you have two places where blood can be, I guess, pouring out? Is that oh, kind of certainly, a- but I'm st- I'm still getting exits. Is my point, and I'm shooting a giant broadhead versus what I read yeah. a lot of people shooting these little bitty, you know, diameters under an inch or seven eighths, and I'm like, what in the world, you know? Because Warren Strickland framed it up for me years ago. He's a noted heart surgeon from Texas. He said, when you kill with a bow and arrow, you're killing with hemorrhage, mm-hmm. and if you want to kill with hemorrhage, you better make them bleed. You better be shooting a big broadhead. He was the one that changed my mind on that you shoot shoot them with a rifle you get all that hydrostatic shock that mm-hmm. knocks the animal down and does all kinds of damage when the bullet goes through with a broadhead you are only getting the damage that that broadhead will do all right so if you're shooting a little bitty broadhead granted you're going to get great penetration but you decrease the odds of hitting something very vital by shooting a small broadhead you increase the odds of hitting something vital by shooting a larger broadhead <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. It really does. So was there anything that with this deer that, that you learned or, you know, that, I mean, I guess maybe outside of, hey, wait wait for that white right wind and sometimes scouting is, is the key to, to killing, but is there anything you learned specifically in the chase for this deer that, that helps you on the next one? Um, you know, and I've talked about this before, that whole – food almost in the bed essentially i mean that's how that's our recipe up here like if you matt you set some of our sets but every one of them is either in or next to a bedroom and we get we get some pushback through social media about how all our kills look the same you're not in trees anymore you're in blinds blah 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 well this recipe for success works for us and if we find a deer's bedroom and we put food next to it, and we're in a position where we can get to a tree or a blind, and man, we're, we're killing some really big deer with that overall recipe. And that's exactly what we did. Even on a deer, on a day where DeerCast was saying poor, well, it switched to good about 6 p.m., uh, but even then, 
he's still daylighted for us. That same deer had come out at a little before six when we watched on a, on a great day. The weather was just optimum that day when Scott and I watched there. Well, this night he came out at like 640. So he was quite a bit later. And I talk about how the predictive model within the algorithm oftentimes predicts overall daylight activity and when they might get out of their bed, not whether they're going to move or not, but you got to be close enough to the bed to see that guy. Like he came out of that bedroom and it took him 15, 20 minutes to walk. He came out, he was 50 yards and he got to 25 yards and we had watched him 20 minutes. They're just not walking very far this time of year. So if you're any distance uh, further away, you're not killing the deer. Yeah. You know, because you're not going to see them until after dark. That's why so many of your pictures you see of your giants are just after dark. Well, they've probably been acorning or eating this time and talking about this phase and this time of the year. They're not walking much for, for rut activity. We kill a lot of deer on food source, but you got to be close to that bedroom. And that, that's why so many of our setups look the same. But in reality, if you look at the bedrooms, they all look different. We're just not in them in a tree. We are adjacent to them or on the edge. Sure. Well, we're currently in the October lull for most people in the Midwest, even when this episode airs, I think we're still in the October lull approaching pre-lock. So Mark, any tips and strategies for folks as we kind of transition out of the October lull into pre-lock? You know, pre-lock's one of those stages that if you're on them, you can kill a mega giant because they're not doed up yet. Mm -hmm. I will say one of the things that has changed a lot of the activity we're seeing this year is an absolute magnum bumper crop of acorns man yeah. they, are, they are like marbles out there under your feet and it is drastically reducing daylight activity in the typical areas that you would see them it's also drastically changing where the scrapes are they're not on those field edges that they've been there for years they're not even hitting those they're scraping in the woods they're scraping in the points they're scraping in the bottoms where all those oaks are next to those creeks and stuff so um make sure that you don't allow a bumper acorn crop to allow the season to pass you by without you adjusting to the way they're feeding and, and moving around. And they're not, they're not moving very far. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go very far, f you know, from acorns to acorns. So you got to be a little bit more aggressive. And, and I think you're going to see our crew hunt a few more mornings. I have noticed that they are so late getting to the feed fields in the evenings, but they are a little bit delayed getting back to the bedrooms of the morning because they're still trickling in and around those acorns. So mm. acorns slow them down. Uh, you need a grate to really get daylight activity of an evening, especially going into this dark of moon. However, if you, if you get out there of a the morning, I'm seeing quite a few that are tardy getting back to bed because they're still on acorns. So it's kind of reverse roles this year. Mm. Great. <clears throat> So in a situation like that, where you guys are primarily set up for afternoon hunts with box blinds on food plots, do you, do you, you know, are you guys hanging any new sets? You guys got sets obviously, right. but are you going out with a different strategy? Yep. We just hung two or three last week actually for that, hmm. for this strategy coming up, you know, cause I, I feel like I know where they're at and they're going to be moving more in the woods. It's going to be a, one of those ruts that, uh, generally happens in the timbers in and around the acorn tree. So better be in there with them. So we, we have adjusted and we're, we're ready for it, but we'll still hunt our, our exterior stuff. If you get a deer going to bed, you know, on a cell cam, uh, that's a great strategy. We're, we're out moving a blind. As soon as this is done, myself, Wade and Perry are going to go move one for a deer that went to bed. He's gone to bed like six days in a row and daylighted there six days in a row. It's a farm that does not have a lot of oaks on it. He's still using the bottom fields and he's coming through like a champ, big old eight points. So I might film Perry there tonight unless something else goes to bed somewhere else. But, gotcha. um, you know, it's a matter of just staying on top of them and changing with the, with the, with the times or with the, you know, the influences you're seeing in terms of the deer. And I think that's a very good point. Every whitetail season is different and you can go back to your pictures on other bumper acorn crops and learn a lot about what the deer were doing that year. Um, I do that a great deal. Like I keep all my pictures, as you guys know, in my computer, I have them all the way back to 07. And then I keep notes about mass crop and overall crop rotation and all that type of stuff with each year. So that if that year reoccurs, especially if it has a moon that's similar, you can really go through and learn a lot and lay out your playbook for this year because it already occurred. So when you have one, you know, that you feel like it, it went to bed relatively late, but here we are, as we're filming this, the, the moon's still setting, you know, in the later in the mornings. So, um, 
in that scenario where the moon is setting later in the morning, so they're up on their feet later, does that, you feel like, affect them coming out later in the afternoon? You know, you got them going to bed, great. Will they come out in enough time and daylight there in the afternoon? It can. It depends how close you are to his bed and how much food's between his bed and, and, and the field and what age he is. You know, certain age deer just don't give you much daylight. So yeah. the, night, the other night we killed that deer, he was six and a half years old. I mean, it was a freaking modern, modern miracle. I talked about it on the way in. I did my, my uh, walk-in interview and I said, for us to kill him, he's going to have to be better within 100 yards of where we're going in. So we better be quiet when we get there. And as soon as he walked out, I told Perry, I go, I guarantee he just came out of his bed right there. He was, he got the field, he was stretching, doing all this stuff. He had literally just got up. He wasn't bedded more than 50 yards off that field edge. So access has got to be right. And, and you better be quiet and smart about going in. I even, I even mentioned to Perry, I go, we got to climb this ladder slower than normal, buddy. I said, if we're going to kill him, he's right here. Because so, th- that's one of those potential zero feedback scenarios because you spook a deer like that you and never you, know. you, you'll never know it and so you can't tim i think that happens more often than, than not right what you just said oh, i didn't see a deer tonight well you spooked him your access sucked you sucked getting in the tree something you did affected that deer or perhaps a coyote blew him out like you're talking to me. it's home for me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. i think and terry and i say it all the time people underestimate the power of a whitetail's intuition and his senses, and I, I always say this, they're really good at living and they're good at staying alive. You better be you better be on your A game every second you're out of your truck and hunting a deer because the, they're going to win more often than not. You, you have to think through every possible scenario and you have to, you have to in your heart and in your mind go, I'm about to kill him any second. Because if you get out of that mm-hmm. mode and you're not in 100% predator mode all the time, you're not going to kill much. I mean, you've got to be in kill mode at all times. We we kind of talked about that last week with Terry and just how exa- mentally exhausting it is being on stand because, like, you can sit there and just start farting around with your phone. That's not exhausting. But if you're truly staying alert and picking apart everything, you know, in front of you, that is really tiring. It is. It is. You should be tired when you're done hunting, not real, not refreshed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when when I leave to go hunting, my wife says, "Have fun." I was like, "It's not probably not going to be a whole lot of fun." Look, I'm not going to see anything. All right, right. <laughs> it's not going to be. fun. I'm not good, <laughs> dear. I'm going to make mistakes on the way in, and I'm not seeing anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll come back in a pissy mood, and I won't know why I didn't see anything. <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Mark. Mark do, what so, What do you think about the freak, like the frequency or the likelihood? Because <clears throat> I when, when I'm in the woods, and if the wind changes or something, if it seems like does are more likely to start huffing at you than than bucks. Like, if, and maybe it's just because of the ratios where I hunt, there just seem to be more does. But do you find that bucks are more likely just to slip off and not give you any kind of alert? Hundred percent. I personally think that that snort that a doe does is as much for her fawn or other fawns in the doe groups as it is themselves. I think they're communicating with others, whereas a buck, he's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, how often do you see a doe snorting versus a buck snorting? You almost never witness a buck snorting or or even hear it, you know? Mm-hmm. They will do it, but not nearly at the frequency of a doe. I think a buck just gets the heck out of it. And there. if you do hear it, you done messed up majorly. Yeah. <laughs> like your wind's yeah. going directly mm-hmm. to him, you're close, and he didn't like it. Especially an old buck. And the other thing I think they do is they'll just stay stay in their bed and not even get up and not even let you know that that they're around. I think they do that a lot, whether they see you or smell you. I think they just stay put. I don't think they like to give up the security of the bed that they've been in for two, three, four hours without without anything bothering them. I think more often than not, they're storing away the fact that there's danger there, but they don't get up out of that bed. I think they just stay bedded. Well, we, I mean, we couldn't highlight that any better than was it roger sapper's hunt when he was hunting at 200 with you and that (laughs) that that trespasser went walking within yards of that that monster mature buck and that buck just stayed locked down that guy had no idea that deer was there but i guarantee that deer knew he was there he stayed right there and he put his wind right across the deer and the deer never budged and i think that happens more than most people know i think we do it a lot i'm a freak about opening car doors when we're checking cameras you know, uh, are getting anytime we're wrong wind, like mm-hmm. be mindful of where your wind's going at all times and avoid putting it into a bedroom. We are moving this blind. I looked at uh, DeerCast wind checker today 
and I looked at it through the entire day, and I told uh, Wayne Perry, I go, we're waiting until between one and three, the wind finally gets right. We're not going in there till it's right. Two reasons. Number one, the direction gets correct, and number two, the uh, speed is up to where he's not going to hear much of it. So. That, that is an aspect of wind check that I really hope people are utilizing if they have Elite Plus or Unlimited, that ability to scroll through and see the wind change over time because the stand might be fine. It might be fine when you go in at 3 or 4 o'clock, but maybe by 6 o'clock it's not, and so you might be doing more damage than good hunting there. Certainly, and on those calm days where it's you know 5, 6, 7 and below, you got to be even more stealthy about your approach. You just can't get mm-hmm. caught, can't let them hear you or see you or smell you. Yeah. Okay, should we help our, actually our question of the day is specifically about Mark's hunting and where he's hunting at. Okay. All right, the question of the day is proudly brought to you by Mossy Oak Properties. Find your new favorite place with a certified Mossy Oak Properties land specialist. All right, this is for Mark. I was curious if Mark still hunts Brushy Bottom where he killed Chiquita. Um I know he had a lot of good action down in there, and I was curious uh, if he still hunts it. Haven't really saw any hunts coming out of that uh, that area. I was curious if he he still goes there. Um, my name is Chad, and I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Chad. And if you guys have questions that you would like answered on the show, just shoot us a, a quick voicemail via the link in the show notes, and if we use your question on the air, we'll send you a hat. Uh, Chad, simple answer to that is no, I do not. I sold that farm. So I'm certain that the new owner is hunting it quite often and loves it. But uh, we had a lot of great memories there. And, you know, I've tried to repeat that in, in many places. And, in fact, the, where I killed that deer is is another version of a brushy bottom. It's not as large as the one he's referring to, but it is a brushy bottom. And, and they love to bed there. And I just don't have a morning set on it because the wind's too squirrely for it. Yeah. So, But, no, I, I don't hunt the brushy bottom anymore. I got one more question for me. This one uh, came from Facebook. How have you learned to shoot with glasses? We get this a lot. How have you learned to shoot with glasses? I wear progressive lenses, and it has been a challenge. Any tips? Huh. Uh, I took them off, and I shot a lot, lot worse, so I learned to <laughs> I, I've just always shot with glasses. I've been in glass since I was second grade, so I, didn't, I don't know any other way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't find it a problem. You know, uh, progressives would would deal you a fit. I I have a set of progressives, and I I would recommend to him to get a set of single vision um, glasses to help correct that. Because if they're progressive, I couldn't imagine all the different views you get through a peep sight. So yeah. you might want to get a a set prescription with the vision you need uh, through the, the the largest part of the lens. Well, they also make those for your peep sight that where it's a lens you know, a little magnifier or whatever that goes in your peep site. Oh, what is the name of that company? Optimizer, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's called an optimizer. Yeah. So you could look into that. That I don't goes know. into the site housing. Or is it a clarifier? It might be clarifier. Clarifier. Yeah. Okay. That's what it is. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. A clarifier, I think. Yeah, that could help him, certainly. For sure. Mark, back in the day, it seemed like you, both you and Terry wore more face masks. You were hunting out of the trees. Did you did you have issues with fogging when you wear something over your face? Yeah, certainly on those cold days, you got to learn to put your top lip over your bottom and blow straight down pretty hard. You know, if you b- breathe out of your nose or you breathe out of your mouth without putting your top lip over your bottom, it's mm-hmm. going to fog them up, certainly. Still do for turkeys, you know. And in the blinds, it does help because we're not in face masks nearly yeah. as much. I mean, the blind essentially is your face mask. I've kind of transitioned to contacts almost 24-7 now, but I, I wore glasses a lot of times when I was hunting, and, and it can be a little frustrating, you know, a cold morning, and you can't see because you're fogging up and stuff. <clears throat> yeah, you, tough. you I have that result, you know, putting up your binoculars, and, and you know, you're That's looking at it, yeah. coming in, and then all of a sudden it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can't see it now. <laughs> I got walleye vision. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, you know, we, we got a real wild clip this week, and this – real wild clip involves some violence last week we had we had folks pulling a buck out of a duck pit yeah which was tucker Corey submitted his friends it's crazy this one comes from zach jacoby from our rack pack all right so the real wild clip of the week let's roll that footage Mm. 
All right, two does. They're on the edge of a cornfield. There's a little uh, a fawn, fawn there, and these does are they're back up on their hind legs. They got their ears pinned back, and they're s- squaring up here. It, it's almost like a couple of bucks squaring up. You know the way their ears the are pinned back and yeah. posturing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you see that I see that on my cell cameras quite you know quite a bit honestly throughout the year where a, a doe's up on her hind legs and kicking. Yeah. Like a kangaroo. Mark, any idea why that would be? Like, what are they? Is it just territorial? I would say it's territorial. Absolutely. They get over it, you know, water source, food source, but whatever it is, they just warn each other. And personality as well. You watch certain does, they're very meek and they never cause them problems. And you see the next one, ears are laid mm-hmm. back. And if they've got the body size to do it, they'll, they'll run in anybody else away. That's the one that needs shot. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of a side of, so people that just, their only experience with nature are Disney films. They don't understand the reality that nature is a pretty violent place and there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of jockeying for position and uh, it's not all, it's not all like the movie Bambi portrays. She wants to be head doe. guess so. <laughs> and the little ones, it's like, oh, what's going on there? I'd fight, fight, fight. Yeah. Pretty cool. Huh. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it, man. All right. Okay. All right. Let's do some. Uh, so Mark was doing some teaching earlier today. Let's continue the teaching. You got something to teach, Mark? Well, probably <laughs> not, first. Mark. I think. Did they give you an honorary doctorate, Mark, for coming and doing that? <laughs> From the high school, <laughs> the grade school. <laughs> no, no. But it, it was it was pretty cool. I sent uh, I sent a selfie picture to Matt and Terry. I also sent it to. Uh, my sister, Matt's aunt Linda, who retired after 36 years of teaching. I sent one to Laura and Kelly, a group text who are teachers right now. So we have several teachers in our family. And I wanted to let them know that I had my one hour of teaching for my life. So <laughs> I, re- I retired after that one hour. <laughs> Pull a pension what, what from that. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, this week's Wildlife Word is brought to you by DeerCast Waypoints. Map out your best season yet with a waypoint library built specifically for you, the whitetail hunter. All right, it's going to get a little bit gross, but bear with me. How much saliva do white-tailed deer produce in one day? So the answer is a volume. How much volume of saliva do white-tails produce in one day? Is it A, one tablespoon, B, two tablespoons, Ten. C, I'm sorry, 10 tablespoons, C, two gallons, or D, one pint of saliva? Mark, I was going to say a pint before you said anything, but I don't know. I think it would depend if they had EHD or not, or had been hit <laughs> by a, by an arrow errantly, because they produce a lot whenever they're whenever they're injured. They also produce a lot when they have uh, EHD. I'm going to go with a pint. Okay, just because I love beer. According <laughs> to Penn State University and their research arm, it's two gallons. Woo. And the reason that they state is because they're ruminants, they're breaking down cellulose, which is the, the cell wall of plant tissue, which, which we really can't digest because we're, we're um, omnivores. But they need so much, so much volume to digest all that plant matter with the, the, the bacteria. But that's a lot. I mean, you think about... The more you know, the fact they have to drink, the fact that they get a lot of their moisture from what they eat, but two gallons is a lot of saliva. That's a bunch. Well, they just bitten all over the place. I don't think they want to waste it. Oh, it's just they need it back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> use it to swallow. I see. Okay. I was gonna say because they could lose, drop a lot of weight that way, <laughs> like a wrestler. Yeah, desiccate it. Yeah. Let's see those that's veins. A, that's a good one, Tim. That's that's pretty awesome. I think that's the best one I've heard you do. All right, and easy, Mark. Hey, I like it. What's this guy's deal? (laughs) All right, so shout-outs. We should say shout-out to our buddy Chip Kristen up in Morrison, Illinois. He, uh, the city of Morrison had a uh, like a like a big fair downtown, and they allowed people to do sidewalk art. Well, Chip and his kids did a Deercast logo and put 100% Wild podcast on it. Oh, really? I haven't seen this. So we got a shout-out. We'll B-roll it for everyone. Nice. Yeah. So thanks, Chip. Appreciate that. Was that in the rack pack? Uh, text. Text. Mm-hmm. Oh, a guy you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, Chip shot the same deer that I shot years ago. We were hunting in Illinois at his grandpa's farm. I shot a doe, and it walked past him. He also shot it. And Who tagged it? 
<laughs> I tagged it. He shot it in the same darn spot. His arrow went through the same hole that mine did. He had a place to aim. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that happened to Jeff and David Lindsay on, uh, well, I guess dream season one year. I think dream season. And uh, Jeff shot it, and then it ran past David, and David shot it, right? Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Jeff and David. Yep. Crazy. It's who gets the assist? Who gets the, <laughs> who gets the goal? Um, our, when that is not cool is when it's like across neighboring properties, geez. and then you got a yeah. real shit storm on your uh -huh. hands because, you know, I mean, in fairness, say it's a big deer, and it's like, well, I shot him, and he was going to die, and it's like, well, I shot him second, and I tagged him. So King Solomon would say, we'll split the deer in half, and mm. we each get half. And then whoever says, no, 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 don't do that to the deer, then they actually get the deer. Are you are you serious it's, right now? It's Old Testament. Are you serious, Clark? <laughs> so do they split it down? What I'd like to know: How do they split it in half? Eventually, it, or exactly? Because <laughs> if you split it in half the one way, everybody gets part of the rack. That's oh. right. <laughs> Unless it's a doe, then well, nothing's going. I would on. just say you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Over on Apple, uh, our buddy. I don't know how to pronounce this. AFG9 gave us five stars. He uh, he was specifically referring to the Ben Rising podcast. He says, first time listening to your podcast. I enjoyed it very much. Question for Ben and your other guests and you guys. Does the presence of CWD ever influence your decision on whether to hunt an area or not? Thanks. No. <laughs> it, it hasn't mine, but I'm not in a strong CWD area. If, mm -hmm. You know, like Mercer County had just a few positives last year. So perhaps it would if it was in one of those areas where there's a, you know, 25, 30% prevalence, you know, I don't know that it would affect my decision on hunting it. it I, I might choose to get it tested before I consumed it. Though. Correct. Sure. <laughs> I know at Terry's place, like one, he, his farms are, you know, neighboring two counties. So are across two counties. So, um, he's right there in a the line in one County. You have to opening weekend of the Missouri firearm season. You have to go to a place and have year to year test it and all sure, that stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's mandatory. And I do know like that does play into the back of your mind a little bit. Not that if you had a shooter in front of you, you're not going to shoot it, but certainly it's like, eh, do we mess with this this weekend? <laughs> you know, like if you're going to mm -hmm. shoot an extra doe or help on that side of things, it's like, eh, oh man, that's a whole lot of extra because yeah. it's not really that close to the farm. Sure. So, it's another layer. Yeah. yeah. Ben actually had just texted Mark and I this past week, and he got hit real bad with EHD yeah. out where he's hunting. Sucks. So out there in Ohio. Worst, man. EHD is a deal breaker for a lot of hunters all across the country. So pockety. I'm shocked they haven't started dying here with the drought we had this year. We've been blessed thus far. Haven't seen much EHD across uh, our three-county region here, or four-county region between two states, but mm -hmm. I'm hearing about it in certain pockets. There have been a few that have died around here, but not near the extent that I thought we were going to be, but we're, we're not out of it yet. This next freeze that's coming up next week will certainly help things. You know? I, th I think Indiana and Ohio are the two places I've heard about it the worst this year. Uh, and Kentucky, I heard. Kentucky. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's tough. All right. Well, let's finish this thing up. One last little deal. We're going to welcome some new Rack Pack members. Grows every single day. It's <laughs> surprising. It's What an awesome community to see everybody in there posting their hero pictures, asking questions, get people giving advice, getting advice. It's been really cool to see how it's evolved. So if you want to join the Rack Pack, just go over to Facebook, type it into the search bar, uh, Drew Outdoors Rack Pack or 100% or Wild Rack Pack, and it should come up. All right. So we have Mitchell Morrill. Wedge Antilles. Hmm, that seems mm. fake. Jacob Burr. Mm. Jacob is spelled interesting. J-A-K-U-B. Spelled your name wrong, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Borwald. David Moss. Trevor Jassa. Mojay. Mojay. Chuck Green. Noah Guy. Noah Guy is the fake name. <laughs> Got it, Tim. You can't get much past me. Nope. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately... Noah guy is actually... Is he real? He's real. <laughs> Son of a gun. There's actually, there's actually commentary in the, in the Rack Pack, because when he joined, someone was like, wait a minute, this can't be real. He's like, no. Name. He's like, my parents didn't realize what they were doing when they... Like, they didn't realize... <laughs> parents are jerks. <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. No, no. That's my name. Wedge Antilles was Luke Skywalker's buddy from Tatooine who flew an X-Wing. Son fighter. of a gun. I'm ashamed of myself for not knowing that one. It's okay. 
All right. It's a deep cut. Well, Mark, what's on tap for you guys? You're heading to Texas, right? Uh, yeah, we're going to fly down to Texas for four days. And uh, between now and then, we're going to continue to hunt here during the October lull, do what we can. we got decent weather coming for both here in Texas. So I suspect uh, should be pretty good here over the next 10 days or so. And then, of course, my favorite phase of all, then pre-lock. I just absolutely love the last five, six days of, of October. You just cannot beat it as a whitetail hunter. But you got to be right on them going to be tricky this year with the acorns yeah all right everyone thanks for tuning in we appreciate it we're at episode number 291 so we're getting closer to the magical 300 I, and I, I still don't know who this special <laughs> potential guest that you're working on is but i'm excited. me neither they haven't texted back oh okay <laughs> mark so, said the podcast ruins all friendships <laughs> <laughs> it's a true test of friendship yeah. someone will hop on that's right so we'll see we'll work something something up special <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, Mark, thanks for hopping on. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in this week. All right. Till next time. Peace out. Appreciate y'all. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.